Hi, this is Deacon Mary, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. So today, hopefully uh, you remember, but if you didn't, welcome to the surprise, um, that we are doing something called Worship Behind the Scenes. And that is, what is it, uh, what's, what's happening with the folks who are serving here at Grace? Uh, what's going on inside of them? What should be, what are some opportunities for us to join in that worship? So I've asked some folks to uh, come a little bit. I'm going to interview them, but also we're going to have some other folks speak. So before I get to that, though, I want you to think about this question. Don't answer it, but in your head, you're free to answer it. Why do you come to church? Not necessarily grace, but why do you go to church at all? Now, there's lots of different answers that people give to that question about why they come. Sometimes they come because they want to pray, and this is a sacred place, and they want to encounter God there. Sometimes folks come because they want communion, and this is the place they're going to get it. Sometimes folks come for the sermon. Not that much, though. Uh, Sometimes people come because the music is beautiful, or maybe it's the community that you have joined to come and be a part of, and you find something beautiful in that community. Those are all great reasons, but in fact, there needs to be more if it's going to be worship. There needs to be more if it's going to be worship. In fact, if you begin to study and read about worship, you'll discover this is a very, very diverse topic that lots of people have defined in lots of different ways. But I want to give you just four components to what it means to be worshipful or to be in worship and use those as a guide for yourself. We come to worship God as a gathered church. We need to gather together first. We also come because we need to have the gospel proclaimed. That is the good news proclaimed to us. So we gather, we proclaim the gospel, we connect to God's presence when we worship, and we live for God's glory. Those four things. Now, You might say, oh, I can do some of those things outside of church, so I don't need to come to the worship here. And the answer is, no, you can't actually, because you cannot gather as a church in your home. You have to gather together with God's people. Now, as I was talking about or thinking through these components about what it meant to be in worship and what does worship behind the scenes look like, I thought it would be really fun to talk to some of the folks who were involved in our weekly worship and ask them those very same questions. So here I have Marilyn Corsilia. Marilyn is a part of our altar guild, which she will explain in a second. But uh, Marilyn, how long have you been at Grace? Oh. Aha, curveball, I know, real close. Um, Microphone close. 1962. 1962, so a long time. I need a math person to take care of that. (laughs) Um, I grew up at Grace. Is that 45 years? No. And I... um, And a cradle. A cradle Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, a long time you've been here at Grace, and then you joined the Altar Guild. How long, how long ago? Uh, 21 years ago. So 21 years ago you joined the Altar Guild. So what is the Altar Guild? I consider the Altar Guild to be a ministry of people that prepare the church prior to the service. 
That's a simple version of it because we do many things that you see the final results of after you are seated. Uh, it's very behind the scenes and very worshipful. Um, we take care of and are entrusted with all of the elements that have been handed down through the generations so that we can worship. I appreciate the traditional aspect of all that it entails. So that's what you do. How do you prepare to come and serve on the altar guild as part of your worship? There's a prayer in the back in the sacristy where we keep everything. And it talks about touching the vessels and the linens. And I took it upon myself to learn many of the symbolisms that each of the items that we touch represents. Let me share a few with you. The underneath the chalice here is a linen and it is a representation of the shroud that Christ wore when he was buried. The candles represent the divine nature of both human and divine spirits of Christ. That's why we light the Christ candle for last, last. It's can only, it cannot stand alone, so it always has to be lit when the other candle is lit. I worship whenever I set the table. It's very humbling to know that we're all going to participate in the feast. And I like the line that says, therefore let us keep the feast. So that's how I worship. So why do you do it? You've been doing it for 21 years. You've been serving on the altar guild. Why do you serve it in this way? Why does it create worship inside of you? I think it's important that we pass down tradition to the generations behind us, just like our forefathers who moved this church here on a wagon did. Um, I'm hoping younger people will join the altar guild so that it will be continued. Um, one of the things I didn't mention was is that we also take care of Father Jonathan in the sacristy. It's true. Um, as he prepares himself for worship uh, for the service. Uh, and that has been a humbling experience for me as well. So you do it because you want to see other folks serve as well. What does it do to you for worship? How does it make you worship? Um, Father Jonathan knows that I'm a fretter. I, I learned it from him. No, not really. <laughs> um, but I approach things differently. My my worship, my altar guild worship is ahead of time. So once I come into the congregation, I try very hard to just be a, a congregant because if not, I will fret over maybe doing something wrong that I left out. Can I tell my story? Sure. Okay. I'm not sure you've ever heard this story. It was after the, the church had split and we were only having one service and I sat behind the French pew and uh, all of a sudden, I noticed Father Jonathan was kind of making these funny gestures. And I thought, oh, isn't that cute? He's flirting with her on the, on the front row, you know? And I was like, 
wait a minute. She's not looking at him. Oh my gosh, he's looking at me. I was flirting with you. And I said, me? And he goes, yes, and I'm like, what? And it's the altar girl's worst nightmare to have ever forgotten anything. And he points towards the rail, and I know immediately that there is no chasuble out. Years later, he would have probably let that pass, but (laughs) he was new then. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I humbly got up, trotted to the back, got it. And I think that started our relationship Uh uh, because we are a fine balance between that's okay and, no, let's do it this way. So... Yeah, that, that is true. Well, as you know, in our worship, we have a certain way of doing it, and what we don't want to let that, the way that we do it dictate our worship per se. Our worship should flow out of that, and Marilyn's been a really consistent effort. Let's thank her for her, her service. Thanks, Marilyn. Can that there? Josh. Where's Josh? Good. Josh is going to talk a little bit about the music that we do here at Grace and how that music ties into our worship. I'll never forget the moment. I will never forget this moment. My wife and I had just driven up from Florida through a hurricane as quickly as our car and the law would allow. We had parked at the hospital and were greeted by our brother-in-law, Kip. He brought us inside to where Sophia's entire family stood, waiting. You see, after being married to Sophia for four months, Her mom had a massive stroke. She was 64. There we were, standing with Sophia's 11 brothers and sisters and their spouses, with Sophia's dad in the ICU, a tiny ICU room. Sophia's family had waited until we arrived from Florida before pulling the plug on her life support. The entire family was now gathered. Everyone was in tears, not wanting to say goodbye. It's the most emotional moment of my life. All of a sudden, without thinking, I started singing a song that I had remembered from my childhood. As soon as I started singing it, everyone in the room joined in. Unbeknownst to me, Sophia's mom had sung this to her, all of her kids when they were growing up. This is how it went. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace, and give you peace, and give you peace forever. In that moment, the Holy Spirit lay down beside us in our grief. The words of that song taken from Aaron's blessing in the Old Testament comforted us and uplifted us. The act of singing together served as a tangible reminder that we remain a family united walking with God. We are not separated by death if we are alive in Christ. I'll never forget that moment singing in the hospital five years ago. I've always found it fascinating that scripture doesn't tell us to praise God. It tells us to praise God with singing. Listen to Psalm 47. I love this. Psalm 47. God has ascended amidst shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. 
God isn't instructing us simply to speak good and beautiful and true things. He's asking us to sing those things. I think one reason he wants us to sing is because singing has this quality of just sticking in our head. And it attaches memory to the words. Helps us remember the words. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Gratitude in your hearts. That memorable quality of music is exactly what we encountered in the hospital room five years ago. I remember the beautiful words to Aaron's blessing so easily just because of the tune. And so in the midst of this horrible moment, God gave us a song and he gave us a prayer, a rich prayer to pray that we wouldn't have otherwise thought of. The second way that I want you to think about uh, how music affects us and it's useful to us is that it combines doctrine, which is truths about God, with emotion. It combines our heads with our hearts. Singing has such a way of cutting straight to our hearts and affecting us. When that happens, our minds are directed towards Christ. Our minds are directed towards Christ. And we behold his glory in our hearts. We're moved. There's that great line. Thou my great father and I thy true son. So much more powerful if you sing that as opposed to just saying, Thou my true father and I thy true son. There's something moving about the music when it comes alongside those words. So here at Grace, it's my job as your worship coordinator to get us to sing together, to create art in our community. Art that bears witness to God's glory amidst our darkened world. I do that in several ways. I do that throughout the week uh, by rehearsing our choir of volunteers who are off for the summer. Uh, And they're an example to all of us, what it means to worship God with our voices. Our choir rehearsals often feel more like a Bible study than a strict rehearsal. Kind of feels like a small group sometimes. Because we're constantly grateful for God speaking to us through his word and through the marvelous music that we study that combines God's word with music. Uh, I also serve by uh, leading our modest music team of many musicians and different generations. That's something that excites me is intergenerational worship. I also serve by finding and choosing singable songs that we can all sing together, that uplift our spirits on Sunday morning and help us to focus on the sacrifice of Christ. So where do we sometimes get hung up? I wouldn't be up here speaking just to pat ourselves on the back with a good job. Where can we improve as a church in regards to music? I'm just going to end my short time this morning addressing what, in my mind, is the most common issue some people have with singing. And I get it. I really do. Singing is not an easy thing to do sometimes. It's awkward. It's weird singing with a big crowd, especially at 9 a.m. in the morning. I really understand. But the most common thing I've heard over the past five years with regard to someone being hesitant about singing in church is this. Someone in conversation will tell me, and this happens all the time, trust me, you don't want to hear me sing, Josh. I have a horrible voice. I'm gonna leave, we should leave the singing to the professionals. Okay. So let's ignore for a moment the fact that about half our choir doesn't even read sheet music and wouldn't consider themselves professionals. What's the problem with that statement? Trust me, you don't want me to sing. I have a bad voice. What's wrong with that thought? 
In answering that question, I'd like you to first hear something. So yes, that's my daughter when she was two singing happy birthday. So let me ask you a couple questions. Was that good singing? Was she in tune? Could you even understand her words? <laughs> a little bit. I cannot tell you the indescribable joy that that song brought me as a new dad, listening to my first daughter sing. Number one, it was cute because she's learning to sing like I sing. But more importantly, I could hear her heart in the way that she sang. I could hear her love for me as she sang happy birthday. I love as a father to hear my children sing. And the same is true for our God. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. As God hears us singing, he is not interested in how skillful we've become or how talented we are. In fact, as a professional musician at Grace, me, I try to let my skill get out of the way so we can focus on Jesus and not on the music, and certainly not on me. God is interested in the state of our hearts. Are we open to his word? Are we growing in our understanding of his deep, deep love for us? Are we proclaiming, as the psalm says, his salvation day after day after day? So this morning, hopefully you can see how God uses our singing to affect our hearts, both in putting his word on our hearts to remember his word and connecting our emotions and desires of our heart with what we believe in our head. So please, please, please do not let any awkwardness you feel about your voice stop you from singing to the Lord. Our God wants to do unique work in you that comes from participating in songs of praise. My prayer is that one day at Grace, our congregational singing would be so strong that we would drown out any instruments that are up front. Because that would be a taste of eternity. That would be a taste of the heavenly banquet as we magnify God's greatness together forever. Amen. Let's thank Josh. Hopefully you've noticed that in our worship we also do readings differently. If you went to another church, not a, a, a one of an Episcopal persuasion, there are going to be readers, but it's usually just the pastor is a part of the sermon, not the way that we do Bible reading today. So I've asked Don Hires to come now and share how and why we do the readings that, the way that we do. Good morning. Morning. Today, uh, the scriptures that we have heard and in which we have read and which we have participated have been heard and read in every Episcopal and Anglican church around the world. Thousands of readers have stood before congregations as few or less than 20 people or as many as a thousand or more to proclaim God's word. As part of our engagement with God in his word, we have four readings, an Old Testament lesson, a psalm, a reading from the New Testament, and a gospel lesson. And on any given Sunday at Grace, we have two or more out of 21 trained readers who share the three of the readings and the prayers of the people for that day. 
The gospel is always read by Deacon Mary or Father Jonathan. Last week, I surveyed all of our readers to find out how they approached it and what they got from it. So I asked two questions. How or when did you know that God was calling you to this ministry? And how do you prepare for the reading? The responses were varied, they were amazing, and they were heartwarming. And I want to share a couple of those with you. One responded, I felt called to read almost as soon as I came to grace. That says so much about how God is moving among us here in this church. Another one said, I heard God call me to read his word. That is such a witness to how God is speaking to us. Another said, I do a Google search and read commentaries on the verses. This really shows how serious readers take this. Another said, my desire is to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to impart God's word to the congregation, myself included. And that is so true for all of our readers as they allow themselves to be that conduit for the Holy Spirit. One said, I simply say, God, keep my nerves in check. Let me speak clearly and help me do this beautifully for you. One responded, God gifted me with a good, strong speaking voice, and my preparation is a combination of practice and prayer. And this is really recognizing one's gift and using it to glorify God. When I was asked to become a reader, I didn't hesitate to say yes. I had peace in my heart. And this speaks to what God does in us and for us when we respond to his call. And lastly, if there are any difficult names of people or places, I go to the internet and listen to the name on a pronunciation site. Before I do the reading in church, I pray for God to help me do an excellent job. Those who read lessons every Sunday have spent a tremendous amount of time in preparation and in prayer before they even step up to this lectern and say, a reading from the book of Genesis, or a reading of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, or the Romans, or the psalm appointed for today is Psalm 86. There have been Google searches, biblical websites have been consulted, some have read several translations of the lessons. There is the practice of the reading, and some have consulted Bible commentaries. And as one reader put it, I pray. I pray that I can be the means to touch someone as God intends. As readers, we are so aware that God has entrusted us with his word. Now, that's the role of the readers. But what about those of us who sit in the pews every Sunday? What are our roles in the reading of Scripture? 
At the moment the reader announces a reading from, we become spiritually engaged in God's presence where we hear his word. At the end of the Old Testament reading, we affirm what was read when we respond, thanks be to God. With the psalm, the reader engages us in a dialogue of God's word as we respond at the half verse. Again, at the end of the New Testament we reading, we affirm what has been read. For the gospel, we stand, and we respond before and after it's read. Throughout our worship, we are affirming, we are encountering, and we are engaging with God in his word. We can read along in the bulletin, or we can just listen to the reader. But one thing we cannot do, one thing we cannot be, are passive listeners to the word of God. God calls us, just as he has called all of our readers, to be active participants in his word. When we are in his word, we are in his presence. And one last thing. Our readings are set on a three-year cycle, year A, year B, and year C. And every year, the readings change. So the challenge, if you start today and commit to attend church every Sunday, every Sunday for the next three years, you will listen to you will participate in, and you will engage God in about 99% of his word. God bless you. Let's thank Don. There's one final person that I want to talk to very quickly. Gail, if you want to come forward. Uh, and this is somebody that you have, uh, part of the service that you see very commonly, and that is the acolytes, those who serve while we are uh, going through the service. So I've asked Gail today, who has done some acolyting. Are you bringing them over? No. No, they're fine. Uh, but I want to ask you, Gail, uh, how long have you acolyted? Here at Grace. We'll just say here. Oh, here at Grace? Yeah. Here at Grace? Yep. About four or five years. Four or five years. So what got you to start doing it? Dead by cold. Okay, so somebody asked you to do <laughs> it. That's good. Uh, why did you say yes? I had acolyted in my uh, early years, but it wasn't Episcopalian. Okay. We can forgive you that. That's fine. We can let that go. Okay. All right. So how do you prepare for acolyting? Uh, the first thing I do primarily is make sure, well, I've done this throughout my life, is to know the order and sequence of what happens, when, and where, so that as an acolyte and as a crucifer mostly, you're guiding the younger ones with you, not always younger, but sometimes, uh, to, they need to learn the sequence of events and right. know what's gonna happen uh, and prepare themselves for, if there's a mistake, that's okay. You're allowed to make a mistake. We're not perfect. That's right. And uh, I don't know, I, I think that, that I go and then I also look at the bulletin. I guess I cheat. I always look at the bulletin ahead, and I read through the readings, mm -hmm. and I know the gospel. Uh, I look through that, and 
if, especially if I'm a chalice minister, so I know if I'm going to go down and hold the book that long, sometimes it's long. So anyway, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that. Uh, anyway, I look through all that, and um, as a daughter of the king, my world is prayer. Mm. So I have to uh, center myself into prayer to prepare myself. We also, in uh, getting along in the vesting room, we say a prayer before we come out. And uh, that sometimes just gathers us together as a team. Because we are, a, Deb always called it the A-team. Exactly, team. So That's right. we were the A-team. So the big question then is why do you do it? How is it worship? Why do you, why do you give yourself to this service? Sort of what Marilyn said, we're also touching the cross and the torches. And as you come out forward and you receive the elements from the people, and you also are in charge of the plates. And uh, with that, you are holding sacred items. You are, you're touching things that other people don't get to be a part of. And you need to realize that, um, for me, it's... It's an honor. Mm. It's an honor, and it's, it's uh, special. It's not just something. Do you connect with God in that moment? Oh, yeah. When I get the cross, carrying the cross for me is the best thing. That's, that's, to do that on uh, Palm Sunday and, and in the morning of uh, the Easter vigil, that is the most special day of the year. Why? Because we're bringing the light... The deacon is behind, but you're in the front carrying a cross and, and the uh, torches with you, uh, bringing the light of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we light the light of Christ as with the uh, Paschal candle mm-hmm. and, the, and also Advent candles. So we're in charge of a lot of light. <laughs> <laughs> and inside of you, what's and happening? That light's burning. Amen. Love it. Love it. I want to conclude with this, just as a thanks for being here. You can stay here for a second. Um, Part of what I want to communicate to you all today is not just those who serve, but all of us were, in fact, made to worship. We're made to gather together. We're made to proclaim that gospel. We're made to connect with God. We're made to live it out, not just in this building, but once we leave. And because we're made for it, You should feel something. In fact, if you're not feeling something in those four components, you should ask yourself, why? Why am I not feeling this connection? Why am I not hearing that proclamation? Something's going on. There's some kind of disconnect. Because, in fact, we were made for it. How we worship often is just preference. You may like more vigorous singing, or you may like more quiet singing. You may like it when the readers read a particular way or do it some other way, that's fine. That is really a lot about preference. But what's significant is that God is looking to connect with you every single time. And you don't have to even try. You just have to be present and open to him. It's why we start in prayer every time. Finally, why we worship the way we do is at the very heart of who we are as a church, but more importantly, perhaps, at the very heart of who you are as a man, a woman, a boy or a girl in God. Worship is intimate. It is important. It is serious. Because it's in this very significant moment that heaven and earth connect.
And I want you to be a part of that every single time, never to miss it. Because, in fact, you didn't come to church. You came to worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to worship you, to connect with you, that you have torn the veil in two, and that today we get to be in your presence. There's lots of ways that we get to be in your presence, through serving and through the vessels and through the music, through the readings. You've given us multiple opportunities, and I pray that we would seize upon those, that we wouldn't just come and fulfill a task that's part of our Sunday, but instead, Lord, that we would know you more. Thanks, Lord, for the people that you've brought here to grace and for the, the folks who are still yet to come. I pray that we would reach out with your love, with your light, that they might know that your hope is good for them as well. We ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. We are so glad you joined us on our podcast today. We hope that you will take what you've heard and share it with your community. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace.